Welcome to How It All Started podcast in North Iowa. My name is Eric Nganyange, and my guest today is Dave Peace. Welcome to the show, sir. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me. Can we start off by by giving you flowers? Oh, sorry. You, you here we been, go. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've been uh, incredibly active, and a lot of your guests, you know, have this big contribution to North Iowa, Mason City specific. So do you. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> hey, I appreciate it, man. And and the fact that this has, you know, taken a while to happen. I'm just honored to be here. So thank yeah, you for hey, having man, me. I appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Thanks for taking your time. Yeah. You've been in the game of comedy a little over ten years, is it? Yeah, it's it was twelve years in February. So oh, wow. twelve years of consistent yeah. comedy. My my start to comedy has three different start dates because I got on I got on stage for the first time ever at Acme Comedy Club. This is I have 22, 21, oh, wow. something like that. And I, I tried doing it for, for like, I don't know, six months or so. Like I it did it didn't go well. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to do this no more. And then I moved to Mason City for the first time. Yeah. And that was in uh, 2007. And then in 2008, I, there was a guy, Jeff, who had Toast Bar out okay, here. Yeah, 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 I remember that. And I was like, yeah, I've, I've done comedy like seven times. And so, <laughs> so he let me do comedy shows at his bar. Yeah. Then nothing really came of that. So I did that for like six times. And then I moved to Arizona and then where it sort of you became started. a thing. Yeah. What drew you to the comedy? Was, was that something like uh, your dream? Growing up, or was that like you got to that twenty years old and you'd be like, "Man, I think I can do this." Listen, I I want to lie to you, sir. I want to say like <laughs> I knew I would be Since a comedian, I was five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's not that's not my story. My story yeah. is very much like I thought about it. I was just blown away when I saw Eddie Murphy stand up, raw and delirious. Like they were was like that the one with the red. Uh, well, I ended up seeing both, but yeah. the one with the red, uh, which is delirious, like that was like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. And my mother was like, you'll enjoy this. Like we grew up in a household where they'll let you listen to and watch whatever you want. They sometimes would provide some kind of context. You know, and you there, there was things it. that I was laughing at that I did not understand at that time. But she was like, yeah, Eddie Murphy is, is really funny. And I knew Eddie Murphy from like, you know, like the movies, these movies where I'm like, he's all right. And then when I saw that stand, I'm like, you mean to tell me you can do this? You can. So it was one of those things for me where uh, by the time I finally got to Arizona and I was like, let's, let's do it. We've talked about it. We've tried to do it. Let's just see what happens if we stick with it. When you say we, you mean you and wife Not, or well, you and a family? Well, I guess just I guess team. when I say we, that's probably a universal team thing. But okay. specifically my sister who had moved out to Arizona, which was the reason why I went there, she went with me to the the first open mic. And oh, we, really? again, we were just kind of having that conversation. I'm like, well, let's see what happens. Is your sister a comedian too? No, she's no. just, uh, she's incredibly funny and, and I love her and she's a huge supporter of mine. And I couldn't imagine anybody else going with me for that first one. So <laughs> I was thinking about this last night. What is the difference between being funny and being comedian? Oh, I love that question. The simplest answer is, Everybody is funny. Uh, your your neighbor, you know, the drunk guy at the bar. The comedian aspect is really just the the skill and the art and the commitment. Like if you can 
really practice the art of being funny. Yeah. That's what kind of transitions you into like, okay, this is a profession because there's comedians that do this for so many different reasons. And some I agree with, some I don't agree with, but at the end of the day, it's, it's the person that, that puts the, the commitment first. I was thinking them all if I get on the stage. Because making a fun at Thanksgiving dinner and control the <laughs> control that stage, man, that's completely different ball game. It, it very much is. Are you still getting nervous to get on the stage? Absolutely. Oh, you do every single every single time for the most part. Like I don't get I don't get the butterflies when I'm doing like an open mic because an open mic is literally just a gym. You just go to practice. It can go well. It can go bad. As long as you go walk away with like some notes. I had a show last this weekend at mm-hmm. Funny Bones for the first time in Des Moines. And the first show Friday night, we only it was a small show, it was about 50 people. And then last night, Saturday, we had, you know, like that 150, like a, a better size. I was equally nervous for both shows. Oh, it's wow. just you just want to make sure you're putting your best foot forward. And I think those types of nerves uh allow you to bring out your best. How was that uh you said 22? You got on stage with open mic for the first time. How were you feeling inside when he's like, okay, everybody's kind of looking at me. Uh, what do I say? How, how was that feeling? So, again, when I say I have these two different or three different start dates, they're, they're different experiences. So the first time I ever got on stage, again, Acme Comedy Club in, in Minneapolis, uh, you, you get three minutes. And I didn't tell anybody. I just showed up. You you sign your name. And if you put a star, they you guaranteed to go because it's your first time. And I was the very first comic. They called me. I jumped oh, you on stage. stage. Yeah. Ooh. I, I jumped on stage and I had three minutes and it didn't go well. It just, yeah. didn't, it just did not to the point where I didn't get on stage again into an entire year. So oh, be, be, because just the first that? time ever. Yeah. yeah. Just, it, that, it's that one of those things you. where you think, Hey, it's going to go this I way. Got, it yeah. doesn't, this is my, this is my comedy story. But then when I was in Arizona and I'm like, I'm going to commit to this, that was a different experience. That was okay. I've done this a couple of times. Let me get on stage and see if I can make people laugh. The only problem with that is I was doing jokes from years ago that were very irrelevant. So mm. it was one of those things where I, you know, I got it. I got that laugh. Yeah. Like okay, I want to keep I want to keep at this. So yeah. it was a, it was a different experience. Technically, my second time. And three minutes is a long time. It really is. <laughs> you would be surprised. Like people think, oh, that's not nothing. It, three minutes is a lifetime. Oh, it's three minutes is a long time. You stand on the stage and everybody's staring at you. All right, bring it on. What do you got? <laughs> yeah, like when I try to negotiate contracts or you know, like trying to get paid and booking and things like that. I have to try to explain we're paid in minutes, you know, like it's like, what's your, oh, hour, okay. what's your hourly rate? It doesn't really work that yeah. way. Like we, we sort of get paid in these increments of, of 15 minutes. Mm. So, you know, when we're talking three minutes, five, 10, these are, these are a lifetime yeah. for, for us. Okay. Every time I hear a comedian talk, they always know which area or location is a tough crowd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tough in what aspect? Let me let me give you this. I was listening to Corey Hawkins. So he was talking about, I think, a New York crowd. It's like, man, you go to New York, they don't want to hear none of the goofy stuff. They're going to start booing you. Yes. So which one for you when you go is like, okay. So I, I unfortunately have never played New York. I will say areas, uh, as far as markets, that have comedy more regularly. 
there is an expectation. Oh. It's like, we've seen a lot of comedy. Mm. What do you do that's different? different. Yeah. Um, how are you an individual? So from that aspect, I think that is a challenge. But as far as actual crowds, I mean, I, I like to pretend I'm, I'm blessed to be as versatile as, as possible when it comes to being able to make anybody laugh. But I think there's no secret that black crowds like are the toughest. toughest and, yep. and if you can like make them laugh, if you can establish that type of connection, then they're, then they easily become your yeah. favorite. Mm. So it's, it's one of those like, uh, yeah, if, if I walk into a room and it's all black, I'm like, Hey, let me just make sure I can get them on my side yeah. as soon as possible. And, then we'll have a great time. Good. And then you probably don't want to repeat any type of jokes. Go be like, man, we heard that already. See, <laughs> that's, that's what people don't understand how hard stand-up comedy is. Like, uh, I have two albums out. Or I typically can't go on stage and do my whole album. Yeah. It's like you can't, as a, as a musician, you can play your you greatest play. hits. You can oh. play your songs. When they see you and they enjoy you and they like you and they start following you, they want to see more jokes. Bigger jokes, yeah. funnier this, funnier that. So you have to constantly be working on the next project. Yeah, I never thought about that. That's interesting because in the music, you can listen to the same song over and over and over and yes. over. The joke, once you hit me one time, second time, now I'm smiling. Yes. I'm not laughing as <laughs> when you hit me the first time. Exactly. So it's like, all right, day peace, bring me something new now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because I just I already listened to the, to the tape. <laughs> What is there? Exactly. Yeah, you, you're right about that. Have you ever been booed on the stage? Never been booed. Well, you're um, lucky. You're lucky. Yeah. I've had two bad shows this year, and as great of shows that I've had, those two stick out the most. And mm. they weren't like terrible shows because I'm at a point now where if I perform and I critique myself and I give myself less than an A. So if I do a show and it's a B plus, I'm hard on myself. But I had two shows where... You know, like there was just jokes that bomb. Like I say the entire joke, no laughter. Mm. Or like I'll, I'll do, I'll go into like a subject matter and it's just not growing the way that I'm supposed to. Because most comics, you know, you built the laugh. You know, you, you set it up. They start laughing a little bit. You give them a little bit more. They start laughing more. And then obviously by the time you get to the punchline or the end of the joke, that's that roar. Mm. It was like almost the opposite. <laughs> it's like, hey. I would say something, he would start to laugh, and then by the time I got to the end of the joke, it was just almost silence again. So, ooh, you no, mean, I haven't you. been booed, but I've definitely had some like, ooh, how do we, how do we get out of this? Okay, and, <laughs> and how do you do that? How do you get out of that? Because if you do something like that, you can hear the pin drop. Yeah, so and you go like, oh, I need to spin this one. <laughs> so the the hope is that you have enough material that you can you know pull out something when a joke or something doesn't land. I've gotten a lot better at crowd work. So that's that's kind of been a go-to for me. Like if something's not really working, I like to be an engaged comic. I like to make sure if I'm talking about marriage, I want to know who's married. Yeah. You know, if I'm talking about being a parent, I want to know who where the parents are in the in the room. So that's something that I sort of go to when things are not going as well. I'm like, well, what y'all want to talk yeah. about? <laughs> are you one of those comedian the People should stay away from sitting in the front. You pick them apart. No, I no? don't. I don't. I I don't. Okay, so when I first started off, I think there was a cheap and some some comics use the the term hack, which yeah. is really just like you're just doing what's already been done. There are comics out there that make a living on doing crowd work that mm. is all rehearsed. 
That yeah. is all practice. So, like, if you say I'm a pharmaceutical rep, oh, you're a drug dealer. Yeah. Like, they they already have oh, these, yeah. these already set plan things. So, when I first started off, I sort of followed that. I was like, okay, if, if we have a teacher, I'm going to say this. Or if we have a doctor, I'm going to say this. And I think I would try to take people apart just to make the rest of the room laugh. Now, I don't find any pleasure in that. So, if mm. you sit in front... I think you will have a better experience yeah. because sometimes I will point you out or I will engage with you, but nothing I try and do is malicious. Like I'd never like pick on somebody for the simple fact of trying to tear them down or yeah. just to make everybody laugh. It'd be to, to really like raise them up and, and, you know, make them a part of it. You see, that's, that's only comedian thinks nothing they do is malicious until you're the one who's sitting in the front and the whole crowd is listening to you. It's like, well, I hope he's not going to point at me. I've seen people walk out. It's like, no, he's coming down the line. It's not going to be me. Yeah, no. how, how do you come up with your materials? The first few years was about saying things that were funny. And I, I think I accomplished that. And I think that's how I grew as fast as I did. But there was a point in my comedy career very early on where I realized I wasn't talking about anything. Mm. And that's the substance conversation where it's like when you are just getting on stage and saying funny things, that's great. Yeah. But that next level is what are you saying that connects to the audience? What, you know, like what, what are they learning about you? Yeah. What is your perspective? Like what, why do you think the way do you think? So mm. to answer your question, it really comes from living in Iowa my marriage and our kids, I think they gave me a, just a new perspective yeah. on how I really see myself, how I really see the world. So um, I'm one of those people that's like, not to say, you know, if you choose not to have kids, that's fine. But when you have kids, I think life changes. Different. It's like, yeah, you life just, is different. I mean, I remember, I remember I wanted to go skydive. Like, yeah. I'm like, I want to do it. And like, then I had a kid. I'm like, no, that's, no, that's yeah. dumb. It's, I don't want to do that. That's <laughs> not a good idea. I yeah. might not come back. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Your material changed from the time when you didn't have kids to now you, your father, you're kind of aware of how you yeah. do jokes. Yeah, definitely. I, I just feel like it, it's attached to something. Okay. And I think that's, that's super important. It's, it's one thing to have a joke, but I think it's more important of why you're telling the joke. And I think sometimes people just get on. And again, I was, I was a victim. I'm not a victim, but I was an example of just, I want to say things that are funny. I want to say things that they think that I think that they want to hear from me. And that's the wrong direction to go in. So uh, at this point now, if I think of a joke or if I share a joke, it's coming from something that is either personally connected to me or someone that I know and love. It's one of those things. So yeah, having kids and that, it just changed. Like, I don't just want to get on stage and just say, say stuff. whatever you yeah. want to say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you conscious, like, oh, man, I'm about to say this joke. I don't know how my kid will take this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, my son specifically. So yeah. I have two albums. My first album, I talked about him yeah. <laughs> uh, not being good at sports, which he's not. Yeah. And um, uh, he heard it, and he got sad. Yeah. And I was like, well, are you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So when I did the second album, I kind of brought that up again. But I just found different ways to you know, talk it. about it. I also, ju- I, I believe in the art. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think there's nothing better than just that raw, authentic, this is how it's supposed to come out. And these are the words that I'm using. So, yeah. from that element, I'd never, I would never not tell a joke if I truly believed in it. 
And I, I wouldn't be really conscious of how I say it and who it may alienate because that's not the purpose of the joke. The purpose for me is to create something from the material and try to make it funny and try to make as many people laugh. Yeah. So I don't like overthink myself in that, in that way. Um, and okay. and then, you know, I make fun about my wife. I make fun about just about everybody. Just everybody. And I, I just hope and pray that they're just like along for the ride. Born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Yes, sir. Move out of Detroit. Look at you doing to, your research, bro. Hey, listen, man, I'm not playing with this. You are impressive. <laughs> I'm like not you. playing with this, man. <laughs> this is what I do. <laughs> Move to Minnesota. Yes. Go to college. I'm very, very interested about this. Yeah. You were in college for 30 days. 30 days, sir. And you say, nah, this is not for me. Well, they. I'm impressed, by the way, because most of us, we are too late to figure out that uh, this is not for me. Mm. Four years down the road, waste a lot of money, a lot of time. How did you know that fast? Like, nah, I don't want to waste any time here, <laughs> any money. Well, that was the conversation. Mm. It was money. So it was one of those, you know, Sally Mae loans yeah. where, like, I think I'm good. I pack up everything. I move to a completely new state. And I start school. And I was going for television production. I didn't really... There was no passion there. I think there was a point in my life where, because I didn't go to college right after high school. It was a year later. Okay. And so I think there was just a point in my life where I'm like, I, everybody else is in Long school. Let me do it. And I go to school and uh, it's fine. But at the end of the first month, I went to the guidance counselor or whoever and sat down. I was like, oh, you owe us some money. And I'm like... What? Yeah. <laughs> like, do you have a check for us? I'm like, I don't have a check. I don't. I don't have money. What do you? Talk? I thought I had a loan, and he was like, No. I was like, Okay. Well, this is my last day. So oh, really? That was. It was really a financial situation that that drove me out. But again, it's one of those things where if all those things don't happen, I don't leave Detroit, which is really that was the goal. Yeah. It was to leave, find a better opportunity, find a better you know navigation, and. If all those things don't happen, I don't think I leave Detroit mm. at that time. So, yeah, I ended up leaving after 30 days and figuring, you know, get a job and, and figure some things out. So, yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. that's how you ended up uh, messing with the Foot Locker? Yeah. So I got a um, – so going from Detroit to, to Minnesota, I was with my best friend who was also at the same college. And he was like, I'm, I'm moving back to Detroit. And it was in that moment where I had to figure out, do I, do I move, move back, back with yeah. them or do I stay? So I decided to stay in Minnesota and like, as I said, get a job and figure things out. And, you know, I was walking miles to, to work and, and I got a second job. And then eventually I, I started working for a shoe company called Finish Line in mm. Minnesota. And, I, you know, worked there and moved up the ranks, got promoted, worked at Mall of America. And then when it was ready for my first store, they said, you can either go to Grand Forks, North Dakota or we have this new store that's only like a year old in Mason City, Iowa. And I'm mm. like, I remember taking my first drive down here. And I was just like, I, like, what am I looking at? What is this with corn and grass? And I saw a cow. I'm like, where am I? And my first store was in Mason City. And uh, I was here for two years. And I was like, is there anywhere else I can go? And it was through the company that got me to Arizona. So that's okay. how I moved to Okay, Arizona. that's where you ended up in Arizona. I'm I'm one of your fan, fan on your uh, podcast, yeah. And some of my some of the episodes in there is my favorite, and I want to expand on those a little bit. Let's go. Three Men is one of my favorite. Really? Yeah. When you talk, I love about that. That was that. That's that's probably one of the first episodes 
that I can remember yeah. where I got as personal. When I started the podcast, I, my podcast is called the Peace Talk Podcast. And I started it, uh, I think, uh, right before the pandemic. So, you know, 2020. And I just like, hey, I just want to talk about stuff. I'm going to yeah. talk about comedy or I want to share like my my adventures on the road. And and the more I did it, the more I found it to be a really great element for me to share stories that I don't share on stage. Yeah. Or, you know, like what I what I talk about on the podcast, I don't really have a, an avenue for. So I just found myself getting deeper and kind of peeling back the layers and uh, that particular episode was one of those where like, yeah, let's share this. Your brother, Dan. Daniel, yeah. Daniel, he's, he's still locked up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How old was he when he got locked up? I don't. He's a young man. So he's six years older than me. I was in high school at this time. So we're, we're talking probably 22, 23, yeah. something like that. He got life? No, he, sh- he should be out in like 10 years, I think. Years? <laughs> he's been in there for quite some time. Wow. Uh, you guys grew up together. We did. So as I as I learned a lot about our relationship, yeah. uh, especially in my adulthood, like my brother was the first guy that I looked up to, mm-hmm. and you know, so when when our dad was a, around, it was like you're the guy. When he decided to make the decisions that he made and start selling drugs and start doing this and being promiscuous with women, like when he started living that life, I I was like I don't really want to do that. Where, where did that Where did that come from from you? Because your, like you say, your big brother's big influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most of the time, we follow them See, in I, the path that they go on. I think it's because I was a nerd. I think if I can go back, like what saved me? You know, it's like those things just didn't attract me. Like I was mm. like, I want to play with my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. And I think it also has something to do with us being six years apart because – Sometimes when you have an older brother, you get to be in high school at the same yeah, time, or like you get two to be or three, in, four years apart. No, I'm in elementary. He's in high school. Yeah. You know, um, by the time I'm in high school, again, he's locked up. So those things just didn't do it for me. And I think part of it was like, I'm in Detroit. I see this. This yeah. doesn't. This doesn't get you anywhere. Yeah, it happened all the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. And your biological father, you talk about him quite a bit. Are you are you thinking about amending with them at all? Uh, so my, my dad is, his name is Dane and my brother, uh, my father, there were certain aspects of my life. I did not share publicly. So I didn't talk about this on stage. So yeah. again, it was just me saying yada, yada, yada. Then I got to a point where I'm like, this stuff was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me it's growing yeah. as a, as a man, let's, let's start confronting some of these things. Let's start like talking about it. So Here's the thing. I, <laughs> as funny as 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 I make these these topics, there's nothing there right now, mm. and I say that from a place of not to say I'm at peace with with everything, but there was so much of my life. I'm 38 now. There was so much of my life where I wanted my dad to be a part of my life, or to at least like, oh, you're doing pretty good. So mm-hmm. let me, you know, mm-hmm. come around. That's all gone now. There, there's not like a a need to amend or sit down or talk or any of those things. Now I'm not saying like if he, if he made the effort, I would blow him off or like yeah. I wouldn't, but from, from my, from my place, I don't need don't any of those it. things anymore. Yeah. Cause you called the episode three men that basically three men that impacted your life. Exactly. You kind of yeah. looked up to him. What, what do you want of the positive things? Maybe you might say you got from your biological pops. Uh, 
No, I, I don't. I don't think. <laughs> I mean, the fact that uh, he he made me, I think, is oh. probably that's, hey, they, hey, there you go. There you go. There's always. I mean, he's way definitely to look at it. he's get credit for that, but he left a long time ago when you. Yeah, like. Baby. I feel like the episode was going to be, I want to lie to you. Like, I wanted to say that, like, yeah, there are some things about him that I admired or there's some things that I think I could take away from him. But as I think about it today, I think he's really just been the best example of what not to be. And I think a lot of men use that, but I don't think it could be any greater than when I had my first kid. When I had my first kid, me and his mom, we weren't together. In mm. fact, we were on the brink of breaking up. So, like... Mm. It's a great chance if we don't have this kid, if we don't have this kid, we don't stay together and get married and have more kids. But I just couldn't imagine in that moment of not being in my kid's life, like no matter what. Nah, bro, you took the easy way out. Like yeah. he was like, whatever the situation is. And I, I can't imagine like not wanting to be with my kid like, yeah. or taking care of him or seeing them. And then he just like tapped out. Wow. So what about your stepdad? I think... What I liked the most about him, and I loved his effort. I liked the way that he tried in a lot of ways. Because when we think about these situations, you know, he's, he's a stepdad. He has kids of his own, so he has his own responsibilities. My mom has these two boys. One is on, you know, a bad, bad downward bad, yeah. spiral. And then it's just me who don't really know where I fit in. I think his attempt to be a dad to me as well. Yeah try to take care of my mom in the ways that he did in the positive aspects. I think those were things where I'm like, I respect, mm. I respect that from you because like you that. didn't have to do it. Yeah. I like that. So how about your brother? Uh, I think my, I think Daniel, so we don't talk right now. We go through this thing where we talk and, you know, then we don't talk for some years and we go back and forth. The last time uh, we stopped talking because of the STEMI, the STEMI checks that came out. Yeah. He wanted I don't know if you know this, but prisoners, they got STEMI checks too. Oh, they did? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. <laughs> and uh, you had to apply for them. And we we applied for one and one didn't come for him or he got denied or something. And so my brother just assumed or thought that me and my wife took the money. Like oh. we cashed it, we got it. And we were like, oh, you know. And so he applied the second time and he got the money. And after that, we were like, well, let's just, I need, I need some time away because yeah. he was super disrespectful to my wife and my whole life, our relationship has been me trying to be the version of younger brother that he knew. Mm. And there were some times where I wanted to be like, I'm not really that kid anymore. Right. I, did, I didn't think about that because if he's in there for 20 years, you're 38. Yeah. It's his, like his mentality is thinking about. Right. And so I think I try my best to be the most comfortable version for him. And I, I don't want to do that. I don't think that's how we should be as people like yeah. it's you got to adjust to me mm -hmm. and, and not always trying to adjust to everybody. So one thing that I take away from him is I think he is one of the most mentally tough individuals that I've ever known. And listen, I've never been to prison. I, I hope I never go the strength. I think the, the mental toughness that he has displayed, you know, most of my life, yeah. I think it's, it's pretty uh, admirable. And I think that's a level that, that we need even outside in the real world. I think we need that type of, you know, thick skin or, or mental toughness. So. Man, by the time he comes home, if he's 10 years, he's six years older than you. So he's what, 44 coming home. 10 years would be 54. Man, yeah. a lot of things change. Yeah. I hope you get him prepared for that. Cause 
I mean, things are different, you know, especially with technology. Like things are a lot different five years ago and Mm -hmm. 10 years. So we're talking, you know, 30 plus years of not being integrated into this society. Yeah. I think that's going to be tough for him. But I think he will be able to hopefully manage. Yeah. Just tell him not to go back to Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because not to go back to Detroit, man. You got a sister? No, well, it's it's a what? best fr- it's a best friend. Okay, so, okay. So you only got one brother? That's, Just one brother, it? one sibling. Okay. The AI game. How you think that will change the comedy? Do you see anything positive about it? Or you you, know, you mean nervous? Like, you mean like uh, the they, uh, artificial intelligence? Well, first of all, I'm I'm not that like uh, I'm not that worried. First of all, yeah. But but secondly, I'm not that I guess educated on how that can impact. I know I hear stories and, and theories. I'll say what, here's what happened to the comedy game in the last, probably in the last decade. That's been interesting. Been social media comedy, been memes. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't remember what my joke is, but I remember having a joke and going on Facebook and seeing the joke in a meme. And it's like, Oh, this is the end. This is going to be the end of comedy. You have celebrity, TikTokers mm-hmm. and IGs with, you know, such and such followers that are headlining and doing clubs are like two years in. It's unfortunate, but that's just how it is. Yeah. So I think with AI or any other new technology, I think it's just going to create some types of new challenges. I don't think that's going to be the end all. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, if, I mean, if a pandemic didn't, you know, didn't shut everything down or a Y2K, I think, I think we'll be okay. So. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I'm, I was thinking is like the AI can copy a piece voice and then we can keep recreating oh, yeah. more jokes and then you might not get paid for that. No, you won't. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's, so it's, it's scary from that aspect. I understand those, those early on concerns, but. I just feel like we it's been around mm-hmm. way too longer yeah. to let that stop. Yeah. Any one of your kids you think they get Could, some comedy? Oh, absolutely. So all of our you, kids are named after celebrities. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I heard that. We have Drake, Kyrie, and Kobe. And Kyrie is the most like me, so he's my favorite. He's the only one that can make me laugh when I'm angry. Like he oh, really? he's just he's just wild. Uh, he has that middle child syndrome where he tries to overcompensate and get the attention, but he's genuinely funny. I think if any kid as of right now, yeah. and he's only five followed in that kind of footprint, I think it would easily be him. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. you, do you feel like a little bit responsible to create some type of environment so he can continue the day peace legacy? Uh, yes and no. Yes. From the aspect of what I, what I hope to accomplish that I don't specifically talk to my kids about is I want to create their ability to feel like it's possible. Like find things that you are passionate about, put in a ton of work and, and develop great work ethics, that kind of thing, and then go for it. That's what I like to try to do by leading by example with comedy. So whatever field that they choose, I want them to have that type of confidence because mm. they're going to need it. One of my favorite things kind of coming from that episode that we were talking about is there's a point where every young boy, you have to become your own man. And Absolutely. so Absolutely. if they make decisions that kind of pull them back into entertainment or comedy, or that's great. But I want them to go out and figure that out on their own. So what I like to do is give them all the tools that I didn't have and send them out in the world and 
when they come back, when they figure out some things, then I like to like help coach that. Yeah. But, is there a difference between, because your real name is Dalen? Real name is Dalen, but it's spelled wrong. My mom, she was oh, on drugs. Yeah. yeah, she was on drugs <laughs> in the hospital. And she, they saw Bob Dylan on the TV. And it was like, that's a great name, Bob Dalen. And so they named me Dalen, D-Y-L-A-N. Most of my life I went through trying to explain that, you know, in, yeah. in school, it, it, Dylan piece here. And I'm yeah. like, it's Dylan. And they have to write little notes on like yeah. the <laughs> phonetically say it. But um, I've always had this like separation of, of self where like, like personas, like mm-hmm. I like being this when I need to be this. And yeah. I like to be that when it, when I think the situation calls for it. So moving to Minnesota, it was like this, mask of this is who I'm going to be. This is how I'm going to get through things. And so I became day day. When I started doing like more corporate work, they would even call me day day, which was pretty cool. But the order I got, I was like, I don't want everybody to call me that. Like, I want that to be almost like a term for people that I'm more closer with. Yeah. So then it just became day. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, when I first started doing comedy and I still go by this name, Comedian Day Day, you get to a point where you just want to use a first and a last name. Yeah. So it's just Day Peace. Day Peace. Is there a difference between Day Lynn Peace and Day Peace? Uh, I like to pretend. Yeah. Okay. I, we, we were talking about this the other day. Like, if I see people out in the real world and I'm not performing, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> like, I mm. if we're at Target and we're buying soap, like, hey, how's it going? But if I'm performing and you're at the club and like, I want to talk it up, I want to give you an experience. I like to pretend Dalen is, you know, the family, the people don't believe this, but a lot of comedians are shy and, and soft spoken in certain situations. So I think Dalen is in the purest form, the quiet, I, I like to be in the background person you know, the comedian aspect is like the entertainer, like the spotlight, all that stuff. And I don't always want that. Yeah. Interesting. So you are more reserved as a. Oh, alien? yeah. OK. Yeah. Oh, wow. What does the name Day Peace mean to you? I like the ring of that name, though. Well, yeah. I mean, people do ask if, if Peace is my last real name. It's my real last name. When I think about it, I think that's the mature version of the comedian that I am. Mm. Because, like I said, it's it started off as, as comedian day day and. Even when I'm telling jokes, I'll, you know, I'll refer to myself as Day Day. Because what I, what I learned is when I say Day on stage, people think I'm saying Dave. So oh. they're like, oh, you know, we thought your name was Dave. Like if my name is, if I'm not headlining, you don't see my name. That's the, that's kind of the mix up. So mm. I, I go by Day Day still and I, I use that a lot. But Day Peace for me is the, the mature version of where I am right now. Oh, I like that. Uh, how do you practice your jokes? When you, when you, when you get in, you say, okay, this is the one. I, I don't anymore. Oh, you don't? Okay. You just, you just go on the stage cold? <laughs> so, so don't get me wrong. When yeah. I, when I, the last time I practiced, practiced my jokes was when I was preparing for both albums. Okay. And that's, that's, you know, one-on-one in front of the mirror over and over again, recording myself, listening to it. But now I take the material that I have that I've developed over the last couple of years and I just splice in the new stuff. If, if I'm performing, I'm doing the stuff that I have prepared that I've done enough to feel really confident about. Yeah. And then I'll just sneak in some new stuff, stuff I've never said on stage before, premise that I think could become a joke in the future, and I just kind of sneak them in. Or if I'm at an open mic. But that is, for me, my version of practicing. When this is all said and done, what type of impact do you want to have in the world? Oh, that's an excellent question. I don't know if I thought a lot about it, but... I know one of the things that probably matter the most to me 
And this is something that I kind of more recently developed is you can be more than one thing. So when George Floyd was murdered and just with my social media in general, sometimes I find me wanting to talk about things and not wanting to talk about things. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes people look to me to talk about things and it's like, I care about these things, but I'm not, I don't necessarily have an opinion about all these yeah. things. And so I was kind of finding myself in like a box, which I didn't, I don't particularly care for. I don't want to be like, he's this, he's only this type yeah. of comedian or he's only this type of person. So when the George Floyd thing happened, I started to become a lot more uh, vocal and I started to kind of slide into this activism role where I was like, can I be an activist? Because I want to talk about some serious stuff. I want to educate people. But at the same time, I still want to do my silly jokes. And I want to talk about my kids. And and it was through that year, I'm like, you can do both. So uh, I think when it's all said and done, I want to have been able to entertain and make people laugh, connect complete strangers and, you know, sort of pull them a part of this journey. But I also want them to feel like there was a message. There was mm -hmm. a reason why he did what he did or he said what he said. I want people to be like, he was funny. Uh, he was a good father, good husband. And uh, he has something to say. I think, was it 2019 when Kevin Hart was supposed to host the Oscars? Oscars, yeah. And he stepped down because of some of the comments he made a couple of years ago. Yeah, it was like six or some six, yeah, seven years, years ago. ago prior, yeah. uh, towards his, uh, his kid. Yeah, it, to it, yeah, his kids about, about it also kind of took a shot to a gay community. Yeah. How far back do you think we need to dig on people's life before we say, okay, eh, it was stupid enough at that age? All right, so here, here's the thing. Personally, I don't care. I think it's dumb. I think if you're running for Congress, let's dig up some stuff because yeah. let's, let's see a pattern. Because I think that's the idea is what did you say? Who, were you, who, who did you used to be? Um, and how much more different are you today? Okay, so Paula Dean, okay, she was the, the fat white lady who was cooking amazing food. She's at the N-word, and they took everything from her, yeah. like, everything. Listen, I'm not saying she should get a pass, but there's no recorded footage. It, it was a Has transcript. Has that before? And then there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a country singing guy. I can't think of his name right now, which is interesting that i can't he has this song and it's it's super catchy last night uh but he has he has footage of of calling a black man the n-word and he's not canceled he's not like his his sales are up yeah so it's one of those things where like why are we so selective with who we cancel who can say this who can't say that i think that's that's an issue selective outrage right Unless you're a government or a public official, I don't care. I find some of it interesting. And I think some of these situations, it it is like, okay, but for the Oscar thing, for example, with Kevin Hart, I don't like how it all played out. It was one of those things where like, hey, Kevin, can you apologize? He's like, yeah, I, I apologized already, but we want you to apologize this way. Yeah to these, you know, to this group and do it this way, or we won't let you host. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's fair. We want so. you to do a tour. Yeah. It was <laughs> apology tour, but that's what actually ended up happening. Like they, they, he didn't do the hosting thing. And then he still ended up going on this, this tour of like, yeah. 
having to explain stuff. I mean, how, how would you feel if, you know, someone dug something up and you had to explain it, you know, from 10 years ago? Yeah. It's like, let it go. Yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this note. Let's say today is your last day. What are the top five things you're going to be regretting? Regret? Regretting about life, life in general. I've had a good life, sir. <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. I, that's, very, that's very good. That's positive. I, I, don't, I don't live in that. In that. So let me, let me say this. And this is kind of recent. And I, I've been wanting to talk about it more and more. Yeah. This year has been probably the most depressed I've, I've felt. And... It's new to me. And I also used to have a stigma of like what depression was and, and like I didn't really quite get it and anxiety, the whole thing. And I realized I had been I've been working more than I kind of have ever. Mm. Uh, last year was the most successful year for me. Comedy is like, how do we grow from that? Yeah. And my answer was, let's do more cities, more states. Let's just travel more. And I'd find myself like after a show where I, I kill like incredible shows i sell merchandise i'm happy i get to my hotel room i'm just lonely i get depressed and you know I, I, I drove you know nine hours to indianapolis on a saturday did the show slept and then came back home sunday drove another nine hours so i'm just finding myself alone and with my thoughts and sometimes that makes me depressed mm. and i didn't quite understand it and i say all that to say I'm okay with it. Like, uh, there's, you know, those are just moments that, mm -hmm. you know, my, my, my mind is going other places, but when I can sit down and, and look at my life, I feel so incredibly blessed. It's oh, not perfect. It's not this, but when I say I, I feel so rich and yeah. it's not financially, I know that's a blessing. I like that. I like that. So, well, day peace is blessed, man. <laughs> hey, thanks, bro. I thanks for taking you, your time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having that me. That was day peace, baby.